Good morning, church. I'll try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, I just I enjoy that a lot more, getting a response. I feel insecure up here sometimes. I feel like you guys, you know, I, when I get responses, it makes me feel like you're paying attention and you care about me. So, responses are good. Love you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we just finished our series in the book of John. And we had a wonderful time in that book, and the purpose of the book was written so that you can hear about the gospel, you can hear the good news of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and believe. And so we just finished our series in that book, and I've loved spending our time in that book, and we're now about to start a new series, but we have two weeks in between. We didn't want to start the new series right before Memorial Day, so we wanted to start right after Memorial Day. The timing of everything worked out, we have a two-week kind of sub-series that we're going to preach today and next week. It's on the topic of the local church. Very intentional. I feel like this is one of those topics that people are, are confused about. What is the church? Pastor Eric mentioned earlier in his introduction, he was talking about our welcome. He was talking about what is the local church and why does it exist? Why does it look the way it looks? What is it supposed to look that way? What is biblical about it? What is not biblical? What is mandatory? What is not mandatory? What is the local church and why should we care? So we're going to do a two-part quick little sub-series. Today, I'm going to start the first part of it, and next week, Pastor uh, Danny's going to finish the second part. And then after that, we're actually going to enter into a new series in the book of Esther. So excited, summer book of Esther, and we're going to talk, the whole theme is going to be about God behind the scenes. So God's providence, God's hand behind the scenes, the whole summer is going to be spent in the book of Esther. So I'm really excited about that. People love to hate the church, don't they? Am I right about that? People love to hate the church. People love to put down a church. People love to critique the church. People love to judge the church. And honestly, there's often good reason for it. There's abuse. There's scandals after scandal. There's infighting. There's denominational splits. There's financial issues and theft. There's hypocrisy. There's racism. A church is often an incubator for gossip and scandal and malice and the church is the worst sometimes, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to judge the church because, yes, all this stuff has happened in the church. It happens in the church. Yes, oftentimes on Sunday mornings, you get the worst of people who put on masks and act like they're good people. And yes, on Sunday mornings, a bunch of messed up people who dress really well and think if I just cover up all my issues, maybe people will accept me. The church is the worst. But you know what? I want to see if there's any, if I can say the statement. Well, I won't say the statement, never mind. <laughs> I was wondering whether some of the age of the kids in the church room, something. I decided not to. <laughs> I mean, this is how people see the church in our culture. And it's easy to see it, that's why they see it. Can I, can I tell you, do you know how tired I am of reading articles of, of pastors and of, of scandal after scandal and so-called religious leaders and church leaders in the church? And it breaks my heart every time I see these people in positions of power and people in situations where that should be a shining light, a light on a hill, instead be something so, an uh, incubator of, of, of abuse and a place of uh, power, keep people staying in power and power hungry people. I just, it breaks my heart. A lot of people will say something like, you know, I can be for Jesus. Jesus sounds pretty cool but I can't go over this organized religion stuff. Have you guys heard that before? Is that a common thing you've heard before? I've heard that a lot. And we can all sort of get that. We get, the, we get the bad rap of the church. So what we could do is we could start changing and start agreeing with them, 
and say, oh, the church is pretty bad. Let's just, just, just me and Jesus is all that counts. But when we do that, you know what we do? We throw the baby out of the bathwater. And I say that because I, I saw the baby come in. It's perfect. Because <laughs> when we do that, when we start thinking, agree with these people, yeah, the church is pretty bad. Church is messed up. We don't need a church. What's it for anyway? And just throw the baby out of the bathwater. And it's easy to tempt, you're tempted to do that. It's easy to do that. It's easy when you go to church. It's easy when you grew up maybe in the Bible Belt in the South and you grew up going to church and you've been burned by the church so many times. You, you largely have no idea. You know, this one church was so religious, so legalistic that I was just burned by that. But this other church, all they do is gossip. And this other church, all they do is kind of hang out and are hypocrites. And you think, why do I need a church? So you throw the baby out of the bathwater. My friends... And I want you to hear this very clearly. The scriptures are clear. We are called to be members of a church, of the local church, as followers of Christ, and to fulfill the kingdom call together. Even with all its messed up flaws. I'm just going to make this statement. It's one of my favorite statements. I'll just say it anyway. There's a singer from a group named Caveman's Call. Anybody remember Caveman's Call? Derek Webb. There, there's this guy from Derek Webb. And his story is one that's very unique, that he himself is such a, a sinner like we all are. And he made this statement, he goes, my, yeah, the church, she is a whore, but she's my mother. And this powerful statement that talks about this idea that, yes, the church is, it is messed up. There are so many instances, so many cases where the church is messed up. And there are things, yes, there are certain abuses that we should never allow happen. But at the same time, we also need to acknowledge that she's our mother. That we're called to be in relationship with the church and not to throw the baby out the bathwater. And to love the church the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. So what is the local church? Good question, huh? What's the local church? What does it, what does it mean to be called to the local church body, to be called together as the church? Let's go back. This is gonna take a little bit of time, so stay with me. We're gonna go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant scriptures, the primary Hebrew word for church is kehal. It refers to the regular, visible, institutional assembly of God's people. The Old Testament Kehal usually gathered for religious purposes, though sometimes it would gather for purposes like national defense, which was seen as a religious activity for the Old Testament people. Deuteronomy 9.10 says this. Moses says, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them were the words that the Lord had spoken with you, on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. That word day of assembly is the day of Kehal. The old covenant body of believers are those who were assembled and constituted the people of God by the voice of God himself. They were his people, his covenant people. God spoke and created his covenant people out of the refugees from Egypt. God declared that he will be their God and they will be his people. They became the covenant Kehal, which is the covenant assembly. It's a solemn assembly because it stands before God. It's a gathering is sacred because it's the gathering of God's covenant people to hear the voice of God and even to meet with God. It was a worshiping assembly. In the era of David and Solomon, the great assembly of the Kehal is, is convened by David to show the, the, the succession of Solomon as the next to the throne. In 1 Chronicles 29, David blesses the Lord and in turn the whole Kehal blesses the Lord. The Psalms um, were written for those for use of this assembly, for this kehal. In particular, Psalm 68, we read a parallel between worship in heaven and worship on Sinai. The impression is that just as God is in the midst of his host in heaven, he's also in the midst of the kehal. He's also in the midst of this holy assembly. Later in Joel, 
There's a promise of restoration of God's people and it includes the sounding of the trumpet, a call to worship, but a reconvening of the keol, of the solemn service. And these are just a few examples of this visible, uh, formal assembly of God's people as they call to worship and to praise God together in covenant community and to hear his word. The center of life in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, community was all around the tabernacle. In Exodus 29, 42-46, we see how God arranged to meet with his people at the tabernacle to speak to them where his glory was and it was there Aaron and his sons were to serve as priests. As a result, verses 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, on the whole, this use of the word kehal in the Old Testament, Old, uh, Testament scripture points to this concept of the covenantal community of God's people when gathered together constitute the covenant assembly. So it's the gathering together of the covenant people, this holy assembly. This covenant people gathered together is to be their God and God to their children. An important part of God's covenantal relationship with his people include meeting with them in this local assembly keeping in mind the promises of Jeremiah 31, that God could come even closer to his people in the new covenant. So what does this look like? What does kehal look like in the New Testament? In the New Testament, the word kehal is translated by the Greek to ecclesia, okay? Ecclesia, which means literally assembly. Ecclesia occurs over 100 times in the New Testament. Usually we're talking about circle of believers. The ecclesia, or the churches in Asia, Galatia, Macedonia, in Judea, these passages refer to local assemblies. And when the New Covenant scriptures speak about the church, it's apparent that the notion of assembly or congregation is at the forefront. So when he says literally, when the New Testament or Paul is talking to the church, he's literally saying to the assembly, to the gathering of people who come onto holy worship and to learn the scripture together. All right, do you see how we're forming then the basis of what the church looks like so far? It's not just one person, two people, three, but it's the gathering of the people who believe in covenant community who are called by God to hear his word and to worship God. You see where we're at so far. So we see the New Testament, Ecclesia is being used to describe the whole assembly. But it's not, however, to be an undisciplined assembly. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, the visible assembly of the saints he presupposed. The problem is what to do when a brother sins. This is this passage, Matthew 18. This is the famous passage about what do you do when your brother sins against you, right? And it says, punch him in the face. That's not what it says. What does it say? Anybody know what does it say? It says a brother sins against you. What does it say to do? Say that again? You go to them. How come most of us act like if brother sins against you, you go to everybody else and tell them about it? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It says you go to them, but then after that, what's it say? Right, you take an elder, you take somebody else, and you say, hey, if you're not listening to me, I have an issue, it doesn't say, okay, you go to them one time, and then you're like, oh, that person didn't listen, all right, done to me, I'm gonna gossip about them, slander them, say everything bad about them. No, it says, go back, bring somebody with you. Bring a mediator, bring a good, well-respected person. Bring somebody that can talk sense into everybody. Talk scripture, talk truth. Bring somebody with you. But then what does it say to do? Get the church involved. Man, do you see these steps here? Now, can I just say this? What if we actually did that? How awesome would that be? 
What if we actually, instead of talking bad, instead of saying, forget you, walking away, instead of saying, but we actually showed that we can be sinful, every one of us can make mistakes, but we can be redeemed, right? But here's what it says. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if the church refuses to listen to the church, then you cast them out. You say, okay, this is discipline of the church. The Lord says, tell it to the ecclesia, the church. Now, guys, you've got to understand that if this is who he's telling it to, then you've got to remember that there has to be a disciplined system of rules and authority. Not just a gathered assembly. literally says there's a disciplined way of doing this. There's a disciplined, authoritative body that exists. Otherwise, if you tell it to the church, who are you telling it to? And you cast them out, who's casting them out? This is not the idea of church universal. This is a local church body under local authority, under local discipline, together. Implied in this verse is stable membership. This ecclesial vision as a, not a just kind of a conglomeration, not just an amoeba of float free agents, but it's actually a, a, group, a, a group of members who come together to, to reside under authority and, and to listen to teaching and to be together in their mission. So we see the church being a local body of believers that are involved in membership. Membership that assemble together. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A key component of this church and this membership is the ecclesia, it's the keal, it's the assembly. Guys, we've lost something in our big push and movement of saying the church isn't a building or a gathering. It's the work of the people. And I know why we've pushed that. We needed to push that. We needed hard to push that because our churches were becoming museums or just gatherings like social clubs. That's what churches were becoming. We'd become museums and social clubs. So we needed to push and say, we need our focus. We need our mission. We need to be out there amongst the people doing the work of God. That's what church is. But can I tell you, we don't want to go too far. We need to be both. The church is the assembly, is the gathering, and it's also the mission. It's not one over the other. Do you hear that? Does that make sense? We don't want to say, oh, you're tired of churches who just sit there. Yes, I am too, but don't throw that away because the assembly, the gathering is so important. It's key to worship God. It's such a part of being the church. The author of Hebrews, get this, knew that persecution was coming to the believers and knew that they were under persecution. Hebrews, for example, the whole book is about being persecuted. And in Rule chapter 11, as an example to the believers of people who by faith endured so much, it was meant to encourage believers. So it's significant that the author tells these persecuted Christians not to forsake gathering together in holy assembly. He's calling them to put their very lives on the line by visibly gathering together. And so when you say we don't need to gather together, you're trivializing how important it is for the author of Hebrews. That he's saying to a persecuted church, he said, you still need to gather together. The church is the people of God assembled together under authority of the word of God for worship, instruction, mutual edification, and advancement of his kingdom. The third century bishop of Carthage, Cyprian, famously said, he does not have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. I'll say that again. He does not have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Now, please don't try to evaluate this so far to be like, well, if I'm on a deserted island and if I don't have a church, doesn't mean I don't have God's father. No, 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 I'm not saying, please hear what Cyprian is saying. He's saying it is an essential part of your life, essential part of the overflow of that, that you are part of a local church, just as important as it is to have a mother and a father. Right now, 
There are cases, yes, where you don't have both, and that's okay. But what we're saying is that if you have the means and the ability to have both, then you need to be walking with both. The church's agenda, our community agenda, is Christ's purpose or agenda for us. It is his prayer that he prayed asking for God's kingdom come. That is our prayer. This future consummation of the kingdom is the reign of God in all affairs of his creation. A future that not only sustains the church in its presence, existence, and activity, but makes its task necessary. Get this. If the kingdom comes where God's will is done, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, then the church must become the present center of this reality. It must become the present center of the reality. In other words, the church needs to be the, the, the coming attraction, the preview. The church needs to be the place where you can see that's what the kingdom of God looks like. But also needs to be very means in which the kingdom actually comes and permeates and advances in this world. Paul reminds us the church is God's means to this end, but it's not the end itself. It's not even the goal of missions. The church is the indispensable agent of God's mission to the world. Hear that. This is incredible, serious stuff. We are reclaiming enemy-occupied territory, overcoming the consequences of the fall, fulfilling the promises of Genesis 3, and as a church, participating in the first fruits of the redemption of entire creation. That's what we're doing as a church. But we call to do it as the church. I'm going to say that line again. We are reclaiming enemy-occupied territory, overcoming the consequences of the fall, fulfilling the promises of Genesis 3, and participating in the first fruits of the redemption of entire creation. That's what we're doing as a church. Nine Marks, or Mark Dever's ministry, defines a church like this. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. The gathering is important for a number of reasons. One is that it's what, where we Christians go public to declare our highest allegiance. It's the outpost or embassy, giving a public face to our future nation. It's where we bow before a king, only we call it worship. The gathering is important. It's also where a king enacts his rule through the preaching, the ordinances, and discipline. The gospel sermon explains the law of our nation. It declares the name of our king and explains the sacrifice he made to become our king. It teaches us of his ways and confronts us in our disobedience. Through baptism and the Lord's Supper, the church waves the flag and dons the army uniform of our nation. It makes us visible. To be baptized and identify ourselves with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as to identify our union with Christ's death and the resurrection. To receive the Lord's Supper is to proclaim his death and our membership in his body. God wants his people to be known. He wants a line between his people and those who are not his people. So what is a local church? It's the institution where Jesus created and authorized to pronounce the gospel of the kingdom, to affirm gospel professors, to oversee their discipleship, all this means we don't join churches like we join clubs. We submit to them. That's a good word. I, was, I said, good job, Mark Dever. That was Mark Dever, by the way. Not Lawrence, you. <laughs> so we know what the local church, now what it does. We know what it looks like. Now what does it look like? And what does it mean to us personally? So very quickly, I'm just going to run over the ways Paul and other New Testament writers have described the local church. Four things I want us to go over. Number one, 
It's called a household of God or a family. Number two, it is a temple. Number three, the church is a body. And number four, the church is a bride. One, church is a family. Two, church is a temple. Three, church is a body. Four, church is a bride. Church is a function as a family. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I'll be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The church is a family. Jesus himself said his family is those who do the will of the Father. And I love this, guys. Isn't this, for me who grew up in a family like mine, who I love my family to death. They weren't perfect by any means. But I love what this means, what, this con- what it conveys to me is this idea of my family means to me a place, a group of people where I can be real, I can be me, I can be known, and I can be messed up in every way, and my mom's still gonna love me. My mama, my dad's gonna be the one that's gonna be a little harsher. My dad's gonna be like, dude, seriously, son, why are you so dumb? My, mama, my mom's always gonna be the one that says, no, no, you're so smart, I love you. you know, my, mom, my mom always makes me feel good about myself. You know, my dad might be like, make me feel bad about myself. My mom always makes me feel good about myself. And I think this idea of where do I belong? We often search for that, don't we? As human beings in this world, especially in this Western culture in America where we such have stark individuality, where this idea of a kind of, we don't live often where our families live anymore. Back in the day, people in America or other cultures, you'd like kind of live where your grandparents live or your parents live, where your cousins live, where your nephews live, or uncles and aunts live. You all live together and you identify by family and that's kind of who you're driving, who you are, you're identifying, oh, you're one of the Smith family or whatever it may be. Doesn't look like that so much, especially in this area, right? Most of you guys are probably not born from Durham, right? Or Chapel Hill. Some of you might be, but most of you are not. What we see is that we have a longing for family, a longing to belong, a longing for identity. And this is exactly what we're called to be as a church. We're called to function as a family. And so if churches are family, guys, can I tell you, find yourself at home. Let me say that again. If the church is a family, find yourself at home. Belong. Do the will of the Father. Enter into this family. Because can I tell you, no matter how good your family is, if you're not belonging to your family, if you kind of say, I don't like them, I don't acknowledge them, I don't want to go to any of the family reunions, then you don't really belong, do you? Belong to this family. This family wants you in. But you need to choose to belong to it. To find your identity as a son and daughter of Jesus belonging to this family. Does that make sense? Number two, church is a temple. Peter, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're together called to be a spiritual house or a temple, a place of worship, a a place for people to be reconciled to God. Right? Isn't that what what a a temple is? A temple is where, okay, the the, the priest came in and the priest said, okay, I'm going to offer sacrifices so that we as man can be reconciled to God. That's what we're called to be. As a family that's gathered together as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church, we help reconcile others to Christ. But first thing we do in this is that we first offer ourselves as a sacrifice. Do you hear that? The first way we do this, the first way we live out this idea of the church being the temple is we offer ourselves first as a sacrifice. 
saying, God, in light of everything you've done, Jesus, in light of the gospel, in light of my identity, in light of being known and loved and called to purpose, I offer everything I have for your glory, for your church, for your world. And in so doing, you see how God uses you to reconcile man to God. Three, the church is to be a body that does the work of Jesus. This is a longer one. The church is a body that does the work of Jesus. This is out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. And I'll read this really quickly. For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think we less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer great together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. As a church, we are the body of Christ. There is a mission and purpose for us. We are to unite as one body in the local church to accomplish this. Guys, can I tell you this? I, you guys have heard me say, and I've said it a little piecemeal here, but you guys have always had me say over and over again, that the human condition is we want to be known, we want to be loved, and we crave purpose. Guys, we have purpose. We're going into enemy-occupied territory. We're redeeming the work of the fall. We're recreating creation. Everything that was broken, everything that was messed up, all the tears, all the pain, all the hurts, all the problems of this world, all that was messed up in the fall, our job is to redeem it and recreate through the work that Jesus started. That is huge work. Oh, but it's beautiful work. Do you understand that? That when you feed the hungry, you're redeeming what went wrong in, in the fall. Like they shouldn't be hungry. When you stand up for justice and against racism, what you're doing is you're standing against what happened in the fall that brought in racism, that brought in injustice. So you're redeeming the work of the fall, and then you're saying, I'm going to transform the world the way Jesus is calling and moving to transform the world. So you're doing the work of Jesus. That's the move, that's the call of this body that we're called to do. But get this, you're not supposed to do it alone. God has given us the local church, our individual gifts, putting us together and saying we are one body. Do you know what part you're to play? Are you an ear? A nose? You know, it's kind of funny when you think about this, because like, who's ever going to say, I'm the gallbladder? Right? Or I'm the pancreas? You know, I mean, nobody says that on the skin. I don't know. I mean, so it's not a perfect illustration, guys. Get work with me here. But you guys know what it's, what it's meaning. 
It literally means that we need all of it. We need all of you, all of your gifts, all of your passions, all your personalities. We don't need a bunch of me's. We don't need a bunch of Eric's. We need all of you. I don't care if you think, oh, you know, well, my skill set, my gifting is not conducive for the church. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. We need all of you. Every person out there, oh, we only need, you know, extroverts. No, need those introverts. We only need those loud people. Nope, need some quiet people too. Oh, we, we need really smart people. Nope, I'm going to say it. We need dumb people too. <laughs> Hear me very well. I don't mean that to just be five. I say we need everybody. I don't care if you think you're the smartest person, God's gift to earth, and I don't care if you think you're the lowliest slug in the world. We need you. You are needed in the kingdom, and you're needed in this work. You're needed to advance the kingdom. Don't miss out on that, guys. Don't, don't take that away. Don't take that away from yourself. God's given you that. He's given you that honor. He's given you that esteem. He's saying your life has purpose and meaning in this world. It's not just eat, live, and drink, and be merry. He says, no, no, no. You're going to make eternal significance in this world, and that's what we crave. What part do you play? Here at Waypoint Church, guys, we have a saying. We say there is no bench. There is no bench. In other words, if you're on the team, you're going to play in the game. Right? So here we are, guys, at Waypoint Church. This is your family. This is the temple. This is the body you're a part of. You need to be part of the body. You need to ask God, God, what part am I called to play in this church to advance this kingdom? And God, can I say this, right? You're not supposed to just sit there and wait for somebody to tell you. Do you hear me? Don't just sit there and be like, well, Lawrence didn't tell me that I was a hand, so I'm going to sit here and do nothing. No. Go. Ask right now. Ask God, what part do you want me to play? Talk to people like Deb and Susan and say, oh, maybe spring forth is what I need to do. Oh, maybe it's international student ministry. Maybe it's welcoming. Maybe it's greeting. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's knocking on doors and sharing the gospel to everybody. Maybe it's talking to your coworkers. Maybe it's... Whatever it is, there's a role for you, and that's why God brought you here. There is no bench. Can I tell you that, guys? If you, if you wanted a bench-type church, I'm sorry. This is not it. We expect everybody to play in the game. Four, the church is the bride of Christ. Two verses here, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is the bride of Christ. He loved and gave himself for her. Guys, do you love the church? Now, it's okay, you can say, well, I love Waypoint Church. Great, we're so happy that you love Waypoint. But do you also love the church? That's a harder question for me because oftentimes I hear myself and I critique the church. I put down the church. I'm like, oh, the church is just a social club and the church doesn't do anything. I'm like, you know, that's convicting for me. You know, well, when I feel like I'm talking about somebody's mama if I keep on saying stuff like that. I don't want to do that. Talk about my mama. Do you love the church? See, Christ so loved the church that he died for the church. Also, do you love the church so much that will you maintain her purity? Do you hear that? Will you love the church so much that you're willing to stay true to Scripture, 
to stay true to the mission and purpose that God has given the church, to be passionate about what God's called the church to be passionate about, and when you fight against the moves of culture and time and whatever may come against it, and say, I will stay true, maintain the church's purity. I love the church so much that I'll fight for its purity. Do you hear that? Purity of its mission, of its calling. Purity of its call to advance the kingdom. Purity of its call to appear to scripture. Purity of its call to, to be the body, to be the family, to be presented one day as his beautiful bride of Christ. I know there's a lot we just talked about about the church some of this, hopefully you guys got it. Hopefully you guys were getting some of it. But I think the question that I want to ask you is this. Will you see the local church for the way God loves and set, apart, set up the local church? And will you find your place in it? It doesn't have to be here. I'm not, this is not a, a push to like, hurry up and join Waypoint as a member, guys. This is for your sake. I'm praying this. Will you join? Will you get plugged in? Will you see that the church is God's plan of advancing his kingdom? Gather into the assembly, be a part of the community, the family, the temple, and the bride, and find your place in it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.